Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello once again, everybody. This is Dan Abone in San Francisco, joined, like always, with my partner out of New York City. It's Matt Marino, the NFL agent. Matt, how are you today? Doing great, Dan. How you doing? How's everything going out in San Fran? Everything's okay. We're maintaining, as I'm sure they are in these very strange and difficult times in New York City, which happens to be the epicenter, but we'll leave that for another time. Let's talk a little sports, as we always do, and give them the sports biz right there from a business standpoint. It came down earlier today. We knew that this was imminent, but it was made official by the IOC that this summer Olympics that were slated for Tokyo, Japan, will indeed be postponed, not canceled, but postponed until next year, the summer of 2021. You as being an NFL agent, what does this mean from the athletes or the athletic uh, standpoint, their perspective, looking at it from the athlete? Sure. So, you know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, a lot of these athletes that are going over to the Olympics, whether it's summer or winter games, um, they're very reliant on that sponsorship revenue, uh, whether that's, you know, Eli Lilly, Pepsi, Gatorade, whoever it might be. Um, and, and the sponsorship dollars are a little bit different, um, you know, from country to country. Um, there's blackout dates involved. Um, but I think one of the things that, you know, comes to mind first is that, you know, these athletes are, you know, essentially, um, you know, if they're individual sport athletes, track and field, swimming, diving, um, you know, certainly in the, in the winter games uh, when they come around, you know, ice skating or figure skating, um, but focusing on the summer games in, in those individual events, um, you know, you're talking about athletes that, that's their livelihood. That's how they're getting paid. Um, you know, there aren't the massive contracts that NFL players, NBA players, you know, professional soccer players have across the world. Uh, they're relying on this revenue, uh, both men and women. Um, you know, so for that to just be, you know, kind of pulled out, um, it's difficult. Um, but, you know, you're taking, you know, their health into account. Uh, the fact that they really are not able to train, um, you know, for the games. Um, you know, you're talking about a July 15th, I think, date that it was planned to start in Tokyo, um, you know, and, and, you know, athletes are obviously going to different training facilities all over their countries, um, not just in the States and Colorado Springs, but um, all over the world to train, you know, for a period of time and you can't practice social distancing, you know, when you're, when you're with your coaches or your teammates. Um, so it, it just really wasn't possible. And, you know, luckily the IOC, um, you know, recognized that um, as certainly some other country, I think Poland, Germany, um, Canada, you know, all had some pushback, you know, about sending their athletes over to Japan. Now, what are the differences as an NFL agent? When you look at a contract, obviously the contracts that you deal with in the NFL, and we, we see obviously Major League Baseball and NBA dealing with guaranteed contracts, a contract with a sponsor and an Olympic athlete, what are the similarities? What are the differences? Are there guarantees? And obviously, I'm assuming that the sponsor will put some sort of outs where they can protect themselves in cases like this, like that of a coronavirus, although obviously nobody could anticipate this. Sure. I mean, in, in any contract, you know, there's a, um, there's clauses that, that talk about pandemics, um, certainly natural disasters, acts of war. Um, the, the acts of war, as, as crazy as it sounds, are, are usually the most common um, just because we're dealing with other parts of the other parts of the globe. But, um, but these are very much uh, equated to a commercial contract um, in the NFL or North America, right? So if it's, you know, 
your, you know, your Peyton Manning and Nationwide um, or Peyton Manning and, and Papa John's um, that he used to do. Um, that's very similar to what, um, you know, these Olympic athletes have, um, you know, similar to what you see on, on a NASCAR uh, sponsorship or a, uh, a golfer or tennis player. Um, you know, they obviously have purses for winning the, those events, but they also are, are getting their sponsorship dollars. And that's very much the same with an Olympic athlete, you know, so you might see, you know, uh, brands, you know, like Eli Lilly, Pepsi, Gatorade, Wheaties, you know, always being involved in, in U.S. Uh, Olympics um, and U.S. Olympic athletes. Um, and certainly they're, they're not only a, a sponsor of the, uh, the athletes themselves, but also the, uh, of Team USA as well. Um, and that goes all around the world. Um, so, it, you know, athletes definitely have a guarantee um, in their deals. Uh, one of the things that has come up now is, you know, as a brand um, or a company, how do we get out of those um, contracts because there are an Olympic games. Um, and that is the, you know, kind of the tug of war that'll take place um, over probably the next couple of weeks and months as this all gets worked out. Um, each contract is, is, for, is, you know, constructed differently. Um, so you might have, you know, some that are, are forced to remain and, and some that are, you know, brands are able to opt out of. Is this, do, are there, let's say, insurance clauses to protect an athlete because of a situation like this? Yeah, yeah, there absolutely are. You know, there, you know, there's a couple different um, areas that uh, insurance companies work in. Uh, one is just you know loss of value policies um, that mainly you know tends to go towards injury. Um, you know, in terms of a uh, a situation with a pandemic. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, really know if, you know, Olympic athletes are thinking that far ahead, um, in terms of their, you know, their loss of revenue dollars. Um, you know, certainly, you know, from the, the, uh, the corporate side, um, you know, those, there obviously are, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them insurance policies, but I would I'd put, I'd call it, you know, language in the contract. Um, that does state, you know, athlete has to be in the Olympic games, you know, representing team USA or whatever, you know, team they are representing, uh, whatever country, um, and they're going to have, you know, morality clauses, um, clauses that, you know, go towards, uh, testing, whether it's performance enhancing substance abuse, um, anything like that of that nature. Um, but really, um, you know, the insurance, um, I guess you would say is a little bit different because, you know, no one's competing. Um, it's not, you know, one athlete or a group of athletes who, you know, tested positive for a banned substance, substance, you know, this is the entire games being shut down and uh, postponed for likely a calendar year, um, you know, at, at the max. So, um, I think these, these, certainly these corporations who, you know, have long-standing relationships with not just the Olympic games, but Olympic athletes, you know, they want to keep those relationships, but they also um, are going to be forced, you know, to, to, you know, get their money back or, you know, put whatever money is going out, uh, you know, back in their pockets um, as just a responsible piece of business. We haven't seen a cancellation. We have never seen a postpone. Well, we've, we've never seen a cancellation. We haven't seen a postponement of the Summer Olympic Games since World War II. And just looking at some of the numbers here, when you talk about Japan and the financial loss and what they've incurred, just to, just to get this, Matt, just to host the Olympics, just to make a bid. Let's say you're one of 15 different countries or potential host cities and you're, 
you're filing just to host, just to host and put a bid in to host the Olympic Games, that's somewhere upwards to 150 to $200 million because you're dealing with engineers and consultants and all the travel. So just for a bid, like I think it was 2016, where it was Japan that tried to host the Summer Olympics four years ago, and they spent like upwards to $200 million and lost that bid. So this is costly business that is certainly economically going to have a hit on, on Tokyo and Japan as well. Oh, it's going to have a huge economic, you know, impact, um, you know, on the whole country. Um, I mean, not to mention you have the pandemic that's already going on, um, you know, that coupled with, you know, the fact the Olympics aren't there uh, this summer, you know, the hospitality, entertainment sectors, uh, hotels, tourism, you know, uh, airline industry, and then, and then obviously local businesses uh, within within Japan, within Tokyo, um, are expecting that they're they're predicting that they're going to get a bump, you know, this coming summer, and not only they're not going to get that bump, but you know they're getting substantial substantial decrease uh, deductions right now too. Um, so for them, you know, for for not just um, you know the organizing committee, you know, it's just it's stuff you can't see, you know, happening. Um, you know, television rights, you know, what what goes on with them? We talked about a little bit, you know. Um, with the NCAA tournament, you know, I think their $1 billion deal with Turner, um, you know, what, what, what happens with that money when, when the concert doesn't, I mean, when the, uh, when the tournament doesn't happen, um, you know, it's, it's very similar. What happens with that, you know, with those television deals, you know, when the Olympics aren't taking place. Um, and, and that's something that, um, you know, the organizing committee and, you know, certainly Tokyo 2020, um, you know, we'll have to work out, you know, since it is going to be postponed a year, um, you know, then it, takes the place of does it take the place of world championships does it take the place of you know other events um that could be um you know a financial windfall for other you know parts of the world you know if the if the world championships for track and field are in berlin you know in 2021 how does that impact that so it really becomes a domino effect and i know these guys are smarter than me that sit on these committees and decide that they want to host the olympics but when you just look at it from a financial standpoint it doesn't, it doesn't make sense or it doesn't add up, so to speak. I mean, Japan has spent the last seven years and over $10 billion in preparing for these Olympics. And you go back to the financial collapse of, of Montreal back in the 1970s. I believe it was 1976. It was thought of as just one of the biggest business tobaccos, Olympics or otherwise, when they spent millions and billions of dollars in building these stadiums that were never used and all the money they poured into infrastructure and developing all of this, all of these bells and whistles for an Olympics that came and left and left that city in debt in which taxpayers then took on the load for the next, you know, couple of decades and trying to dig themselves out of that billion dollar debt. You know, what's interesting. The only city, the only host city, actually, I'll put this to you, and this is unrehearsed, so I hate to put you on the spot, Maddie. <laughs> but if you can tell me the only Summer Olympics and the only host city to turn a profit, can you tell me what city that is? Oh, man. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you an end. The, the 1980s is the decade. Uh, well, all right. So if it's the summer, then I'm wrong. I was going to say Calgary, or, uh, but I don't think I'm right there. It was Los Angeles, yeah, 1984. Okay. I think they turned like a $200 billion profit. And a lot of that is because they had a lot of the facilities already built, right? Yeah, like sure. And, and so they were able – and then broadcasting was – it was a lot of it was timing because 
Apparently, broadcasting of the television rights are paying upwards to three quarters and flipping that tab at three quarters of that Olympic, uh, Olympic dollar that they take into account by Japan. So, yeah, and the United States and NBC is upwards to 50% of all of that revenue. And I also saw where NBC now has a clause where they can protect themselves because they have, they have insurance as well. But it's, it's really interesting going forward and just what Japan – now has to deal with financially and putting this off by a whole year and the sort of the sort of ongoings there as far as the taxpayers and what sort of pushback they're going to get back from the, the citizens out there in Tokyo. Let's switch things here to the United States and talk a little football and not so much free agency, but rather what's happening in Las Vegas and what's happening in Los Angeles. And of course, I'm talking about speaking of stadiums and facilities, Allegiant Stadium, that's the new home of the Las Vegas Raiders is scheduled to open up this year. But of course, like everything else with the coronavirus, you wonder about delays and potentially that stadium not being ready to go start come the beginning of this football season. Where's that at right now? And worst case scenario, if they can't play in Las Vegas, what next for the Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders? So, you know, yeah, let's start with the, the construction part first. You know, it doesn't seem, you know, at least – from the outside looking in, uh, Vegas has been too, you know, impacted just yet. And I, you know, I, I obviously don't know, you know, too much about the situation from a scientific standpoint, but it's, it sounds like, you know, this will, this will keep spreading to different parts of the country. Um, New York, California, Washington state, obviously are the first ones. And, you know, I think as I last, I looked, it was 15 states that were, um, you know, had some kind of, laws in place now about um work businesses um so if that does hit nevada um if you know if for some reason you know uh construction is deemed non-essential hey, man, let me, let me uh, cut you off for one second yeah, yeah. Let me interrupt for one second would you find that interesting if you're a mayor or if you're the governor of nevada there has got to be pressure even though you know the right thing to do from a health standpoint is to come down with that mandate or that edict that everybody has to stay home. Everything is shut down. It hasn't happened in Nevada. But when you think, if you're the person that's pulling that, that, you know, pulling that trigger, the governor of Nevada, don't you feel that there is definite pressure that those workers continue to go and build that stadium? When you think about everything economically that that That's stadium safe, represents. Yeah and the Raiders potentially going there, there has to be a definite struggle in terms of making sure that stadium gets built, but at the same time, adhering to the health concerns in this pandemic that is this country. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the sports books have now closed in, in Vegas. We saw that. Um, I think a couple of casinos have, have, uh, you know, tempered operations. Right. So from a construction standpoint, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a free for all. I've, you know, I've, I've never been on the construction side as a worker, but you're talking about, uh, massive, massive, um, you know, size of a project that, you know, has tons of people on it, you know, so, um, you know, if that does, you know, transpire, if, you know, if the governor's not given um, a choice and he says, look, you know, I, they have to shut down, you know, all essential employees or non-essential employees, you know, what, where does he deem the workers for that stadium? And obviously there's been, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars um that have been you know put into this project put into the fact that the raiders are going you know to las vegas the first time ever um you know the draft is well the draft is still going to be there in april if the draft takes place um but the draft won't be you know won't be a live event anymore um so that's you know one thing off the docket for vegas already um you know so it's very similar to tokyo it's a, it's a loss of revenue um if you can't 
you know, build that stadium. Um, and you know, it, it ends up, you know, a, a construction site, <clears throat> a construction site that is, is shut down. Um, you're talking about, you know, where do the Raiders play then come, you know, come training camp, come OTAs, if, if we have OTAs, which are pretty doubtful. Um, but you know, where do the Raiders play? Do they go back to Oakland? Is, is Oakland, you know, to, you know, how does that play out in the, in the situation? I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that's like, um, not only for the fans, but then also just, you know, the players, the front office, you know, the team owner who, who fought so hard to, to get his team out of Oakland, um, you know, to, to Vegas um, in this new stadium, you know, free agents that are, you know, a guy like Jason Witten who's saying, oh, I'm going to go to a, a shiny new stadium in Las Vegas. Oh, nope. Now you're going back to Oakland. Um, so, it's a crazy situation if that happens. Um, and you could even, you know, say the same thing about LA um, with the chargers and the, uh, and the LA Rams, um, you know, where, where does that take, you know, to the, to if, if that can't be finished, I think that last I checked, that was about 70% finished. You know what, do the Chargers go back, you know, and, and play in a 30,000 seat soccer stadium? Um, you know, how does that play for their free agents that sign because Hey, look, you know what? We're going to be playing in this beautiful new stadium, the headquarters of the NFL on the West Coast. Well, no, now we're going back to, uh, you know, down the road in Carson and playing in a 30,000-seat soccer stadium uh, with small locker rooms. Yeah, that one is – I find the Raiders more daunting because as bad as that scenario, if it does play out, at least the Rams and the Chargers have a home to go back to. Nobody wants to go back to Carson and play in front of that high school stadium they're playing in front of, but for those fans of 30,000 fans, and oftentimes – you know, the fans as much, if not are as divided in terms of supporting the other team. There's no real home field advantage in that, that soccer stadium. But I find that Oakland-Las Vegas scenario should, and as by all accounts, that stadium should be ready to go come, come the middle of July. So apparently they're still on target. They had, you know, coronavirus aside, they had some issues with the roof. But that seems to be all taken care of. But should it be a worst-case scenario and that stadium isn't ready to go? I could see a scenario, because keep in mind the way they left Oakland, where the Raiders, because the Raiders, they have the leverage. They don't necessarily have to welcome back the Oakland Raiders. And if Oakland was to say, no, you've, you've screwed us once before, you're not welcome back here. We don't want you back in Oakland. If somehow the city of Oakland was to get the last laugh, doubtful that would happen because there'd probably be additional revenue, obviously, with the Raiders playing there again. But how about that? Because Oakland, they control all the levers there. If Oakland was to say, no, you're not allowed back at the Coliseum, we don't have a working contract, we're not obligated to do anything with you, then what for the Raiders? <laughs> yeah, then, you know, <laughs> I'm not too sure. You know, they're going to find themselves in a, in a really, really tough spot up there um, in your neck of the woods, man. Okay, uh, park out of the polo fields, maybe. Hey, Maddie, uh, let's talk a little football and free agency and Cam Newton. We knew this was coming. You had talked about this the other day, but Cam Newton officially released. We saw that the Carolina Panthers, and I asked you about this because I hadn't seen it before, where they said he and his agent can negotiate their own trade. Talk about Cam Newton's release, what that means for him in Carolina. Yeah, so you hit it, you know, right on the head when you brought it up last week. And, and yeah, like we talked about uh, previously, you know, if a team is saying, you know, to a player or his agent, um, you know, hey, look, you know what, we we want you to find a way out. Uh, it, there's generally then a sense that, you know, this guy's going to get cut anyway. Um, and Hey, look, if you can find some value for us to bring it back in, you know, yeah, absolutely. We're going to do it, but, um, there'll be a time frame that, uh, you know, we'll do it within. And, and this is, you know, you know, basically why it happened now is, you know, um, 
uh, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, his, his deal. Um, I think it was 63 million that we talked about. Um, not all guaranteed, but, um, you know, that went through and, um, what it does for the, for the Panthers though, is it, it saves some, you know, serious money, um, releasing him saves almost $20 million. It saves 19 million, um, you know, in cap space. And I think only about two, $2 million in dead money. Um, you know, so a couple of things have happened, um, you know, they signed PJ Walker who came from the XFL, um, you know, who played for the same coach, you know, coach rule at, at temple, uh, for four years. Um, so, you know, he basically becomes the backup to Teddy Bridgewater. So you have a, you know, a completely different quarterback room, um, than Cam Newton and Kyle Allen, as you did last year. Um, and, and Bridgewater's deal, it's really cap friendly. Um, we talked about the, you know, the front end back end stuff. Um, you know, he's only counting about 14 million against the cap. Um, uh, in 2020 and I think 22 or 23 million in 2021. Um, you know, so, you know, it's, it's nothing, you know, too, too big for them to swallow, um, as an organization and the organization has had a whole over, over whole overhaul, right. You're talking about new owner, new head coach, um, the GM Marty Herney, you know, he's, he, he's still an incumbent. He's still there. Um, but everything else, um, is really an, a complete overhaul. Um, so, you know, they wanted their own people in there, own quarterback, and, and that's how they're, that's what they're going to go with. So now Cam Newton joins the likes of Jameis Winston, as well as Joe Flacco, as some of the named free agents that are available at the quarterback position. But as we mentioned, in both all of those guys, there's that injury bug, and something yeah. that we have constantly talked about here during these new times with the coronavirus the physicals and the inability of players to go as they typically and conventionally would go to the facility of the team that you've just signed with, have your physical, and then, of course, sign the contract. And especially in the case of someone like that of Cam Newton, who's coming off a serious foot injury. Prior to that, it was the shoulder injury. There was the meniscus situation involving Jameis Winston. We saw Denver release Mr. Joe Flacco on that unusual designating him to the failed physical, which yep, I think failed physical designation. Yep. Exactly. I just got it entirely backwards. Failed physical designation. So how does this going forward, going forward? And does this in some way deter a team from signing somebody like that of a Cam Newton when you can't put him under the scope and take a look at it? You know, so I think it does. And, and obviously I don't know the health of Cam Newton right now. Right. You know, I think that's, you know, very similar to any of the guys. Um, so, you know, with a guy like Cam, you know, who's had two serious injuries, um, you know, in, in, you know, basically back to back years and where he's been really banged up, I think his last game, last, you know, eight games for the, for the Panthers, he was 0 and 8. Um, he's just a guy that takes a big beating um, throughout his career. He always has, um, you know, so, so for a guy like Cam, you can't get, you know, your own eyes on him. You don't know, you know, what kind of, not just, uh, you know, rehabilitation shape, but you don't know what kind of physical shape he's in. Take the foot out of the equation. You just don't know what kind of shape he's in because he, you know, he hasn't been able to be active for such a long period of time. Um, very similar to Jameis Winston, Joe Flacco, obviously coming off a, a pretty serious um, neck injury, um, you know, with a, with a slip disc, um, a herniated disc. Um, Jameis out of the three of them probably has the the easiest path in, t in terms of recuperation. He's also the youngest um, and, you know, hasn't had significant injuries throughout the course of his career. But, you know, without NFL teams being able to put their own doctor's eyes on it, put these guys in MRIs, you know, give them CAT scans, 
you know, basically poking and prodding them like they have done in past years, you know, they're very worried about the quarterback position. Um, you know, you see guys, you know, you're talking about, you know, wide receivers, linebackers, safeties, you know, signing all over the place, you know, free agency is pretty, it, it's, it's going pretty strong, you know, as if it was in, in other years there. Uh, but quarterbacks, the guy that's the face of the franchise, you're going to give him a starting job. You're, you know, committing 20 to $30 million to that position. You know, you want to make sure all those boxes are checked, checked medically. Um, and that's what these teams can't do yet. And that is one of the reasons, one of the main reasons you're seeing, you know, these, these quarterbacks still out there and, and still on signs. Um, but what it can do though, is, you know, if these guys are still hanging um, in a month or so after the draft, it can really give these guys a great opportunity to go to a situation that is fantastic because if they go into a situation where, you know, someone cleans up in the draft, um, they know what roster they're getting into. Um, we're probably not going to have OTAs anyway, you know, so, you know, there's, there's not a sense of urgency. Hey, you got to get in there, got to learn the playbook, got to meet the coaches, um, you know, especially, especially if there's a new coach in the, in the system. Um, they're not going to be able to do that stuff anyway. Um, so, it, so it really gives them an advantage if, you know, to kind of work within the times, um, you know, so to speak. There the physical was a hang up on the Tom Brady deal, although not a big one with Tampa Bay and Tom Brady before they dotted all the I's and crossed the T's on his contract. Explain the difference between Tom Brady getting a physical that they can't be administered or overseen by that of the team doctors for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and that of someone like Cam Newton? You know, and it's, and it's pretty simple. You know, Brady's 43 um, and has taken tremendous care of himself throughout his career, right? We all know that. You know, the guy probably doesn't even drink, you know, during the season. Um, and, you know, he obviously is very diligent in his diet. Um, he has a personal trainer that he works out with, Alex Guerrero, um, or used to work out with. I don't know what will happen in that situation. Um, you know, for him to pass a physical, which even had a little bit of a hang-up on it, um, from what I was, you know, privy to, um, you know, taking two days as opposed to one, um, you're talking about, um, a guy that really has never had a significant injury since that ACL, you know, years ago. Um, he's had some knocks, definitely. He was, you know, held out of practice last year for, for reasons, you know, for injury reasons or concerns. Um, but he hasn't had any significant. Um, so for a guy like that, who, you know, look, this guy's 43, he's won six Super Bowls. Um, you know, he is uh, a Super Bowl MVP, a NFL MVP, a first ballot Hall of Famer, probably, you know, uh, unanimous um, Hall of Famer. Um, you're going to do everything. You're going to move everything to get this guy physical and, and make sure that it goes right. Um, you know, he's a, a team first guy and that's in that regard. You know, Jameis Winston, still young, a little immature. Cam Newton, um, he's not that young and he's been beat up and, you know, he's got some things going on. Um, you know, he's always had some off the field issues kind of lingering around him. Um, the media has been pretty nice to him, pretty fair to him um, with, with all those things going on. And, um, you know, you would think that, Hey, look, you know, this is, this is a, a very high, a very high draft pick um, who had a very good season one year when he was an MVP, um, got his team to the Super Bowl. But, um, but for a guy like him, you know, I think there's a little bit more of hesitation than a guy like Brady. He just, he isn't as stable. He isn't as um, you know, doesn't have the twenty years of experience um, as a guy like Brady. And you know, and, and Cam has certainly rubbed people the wrong way. So, um, you know, I think that goes towards it as well. Um, you know, when when you can't move a guy 
you know, with, um, you know, a $20 million contract, you know, for, for even a late round pick, um, that says a lot, I think, um, certainly, um, says a lot, you know, even a former MVP. I think when it comes to Tom Brady and we're haggling over his physical and we both agree on a mutual doctor, I'd be okay with that. But if it's Cam Newton and you haven't played football essentially in two years and you're coming off the shoulder as well as the foot injury, I need you to see my guy end of story or I'm not signing you. Is that pretty accurate? That's very accurate, you know. And, um, and look, there's some quarterback needy teams out there. I mean, you talk about the Chargers right now. You know, maybe they jump up and say, oh, you know what, Cam's available. You know what, but let's, let's, you know, you know, let's see what we can do here. Um, but they're a quarterback needy team, and they've got some weapons. They obviously wanted Brady, um, you know, so, you know, they feel that they're certainly close to solving the puzzle or, you know, figuring it out. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, that could be an interesting piece to add there with Cam Newton if, if they really feel that he's, you know, capable and fits that role. Well, Matty, take care of yourself out in New York City. And, of course, we will get together next week for more sports business, like always. For Matt Marino, this is Dan Avone in San Francisco giving you the sports business. Until next time, so long, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.